Director of photography John Matashak's career has focused on shooting internationally recognized independent films, which have screened at over 50 festivals, including Cannes Film Festival. Widely admired for his arresting contemporary images prior to shooting Old Henry, Matashak achieved the Best Cinematography Award at the 25th Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival for his work on Two Shadows and Model Minority. You can see his work in the forthcoming dark comedy Meet Cute starring Pete Davidson and Kaylee Kawoko. John Matashak, welcome to The Creative Process. Thank you so much for having me. So uh, as a cinematographer, your film Old Henry is, is just coming out. Uh, it's interesting for us here at The Creative Process because actually we always end episodes on the question about the kind of world we're leaving the next generation. And that whole thought uh, about the future and protecting generations from you know, the mistakes of the parent or what they've had to go through is what is woven throughout Old Henry. So how did you approach uh, the visual storytelling uh, process you know how did that all line up I mean you know I think it's such a long process to get to where you ultimately are trying to go but I think early on in in our kind of creative process and kind of like lensing this film you know it was a it, it's it's a really authentic story I think about a father and a son and what he's trying to do to kind of protect him to some degree to shelter him and try to instill these these values so we just tried to take a very honest and authentic approach to that like i, I you know our film is set in kind of the turn of the century and so that in and of itself kind of lends it lends itself to different different aspects of life but i think in terms of being like a western and just being kind of this you know, authentic story, we just tried to really get to the bottom of that, you know, I think in terms of, of our lens choices, our, our kind of the shot design to kind of try to take you on this journey that will feel as real as anything else to you. So by the end, maybe has kind of made you feel something. And so I found that the more tension we paid we paid attention to the details of things, the details of kind of everything, like the more specific we were able to get, it just kind of, it just put us in a world that, that you kind of just go on this journey, I think, because of all this attention to detail. And it's kind of made me think afterwards, kind of after having wrapped and kind of gone through the post, post process that it was like this attention to detail is sometimes lost in our kind of society based on our kind of culture at the moment, I feel like, you know, where you don't have these like hand-me-down pieces of even furniture anymore or, or articles of clothing. But like back then at the turn of the century, like a jacket meant something. That jacket was was handmade and, and you pass that on to your kids or your friends or anyone else or even furniture. But, but now we kind of have this society and this culture of kind of like, get stuff, get rid of it and get more stuff, you know? So I feel like there's like the attention to detail throughout life, even in general, was kind of something that I kind of been kind of thinking about, you know, after having gone through this process on the film. 
Yes, I think so. And I think that, yeah, the, a lot of the ethic of self-reliance, which we know is something woven very much into, uh, I think, the American character and into Westerns. But as you, it's been commented on that in the film, although it's looking back, it does tell us something about the future or our anxieties, because what we're going through now, I mean, we also have a, a parallel podcast called One Planet, where we talk about the environment. So people are thinking about, you know, how will they survive? That I mean, it's something that's really present in our mind, and what, you know, what we value. And so how do you you attention to detail where you would get these kind of real intimate connections with the period in time. And I, th I think I understand with Tim Blake uh, Nelson as well, there's a lot of intimate connection because he's involved in producing as well as with uh, the writer, uh, director, Ponzi Ponsaroli, who I know you've worked with. This is like an ongoing collaboration. You have a, a good uh, relationship. So that must add to this authenticity of, you know, knowing the region, the sense of place is also very strong. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when, you know, there's, there's moments where I think, you know, artists come together and collaborate and, and when all of those artists are kind of, you know, they're just operating on a certain set, I guess, or they're operating and they're all in the same rhythm and, and they're in sync and, and with the same film in mind and with the same kind of like goal in mind, you know, of kind of continually developing, developing the ideas, developing the story and just never kind of like settling. I feel like we were all we were all in a constant search for for I guess I, I hate to you know to to overuse that word, but the authenticity or like the truth, you know, with like basically trying to just be very minimal with certain things in terms of just just getting to the bottom of it and what is this story ultimately about? You know, granted, it you know it's. It's set in this world, it's set in this time period, it's set, you know, you've got good guys and bad guys, and you have all these external elements, but like what is the what is the real story that's gonna kind of like grab people and kind of take them on on that journey? So yeah, I mean, obviously Potsy and I have we've collaborated on we worked on a television show, you know, and that was just a that was just an amazing experience. And so I knew going into this that, that was we were gonna have the same kind of collaborative process where we just, him and I just, we, we have very similar aesthetics. And so it, it makes that process really seamless in terms of what we want. And we both know we're, we're always searching and kind of searching for the same thing. It's just kind of like how we get there might be a little different. Um, and then, and then, you know, obviously working with actors such as the caliber of Tim Blake Nelson, Scott Hayes, Stephen Dorff. I mean, they're just all, everyone is just such um, high caliber actors. And so it was a real treat to kind of be able to sit in and watch their process and how they would bring these characters to life. It was a real honor. And I, as a cinematographer was, was kind of just trying to be true to that and, and stay out of their way. You know, I never, we never wanted the camera or the edit or the shot design to kind of get in the way of these characters because they were just so kind of larger than life in terms of the weight I think they have on screen. And so we, I was just trying to kind of disappear and just kind of, you know, and be like, you know, it's their story. You know, obviously you can't really do that. There's so many things involved in the cinematography and the lensing of a film, but but I think whenever there was a, uh, 
a question about what we should do, our fallback was like, let's lean into, you know, these really, these strong characters that have been created by these amazing artists. When you have the emotional core and then that sense of place or the lived-in quality, because as I understand, Fatsi Fonsaroli, he is from Tennessee. You have this amazing house where I think that might be the inception of the kind of the idea of where he got for the writing the story and evolved from there. It, it just centered on the basic, the the essential, and I and I imagine for your lensing, a lot of it that was like an emotional core. You really felt that. The, here's a father and son gone to this place where they think they're getting away from the rest of the world. And, and it really has that a sense of place, but also with a connection, I guess, Stephen Dorf lives not to, he knows the region well as well. Yeah. I think he discovered a place called Beepers Fork a while ago. And so I think he bought, I think during the pandemic, he kind of maybe reload. I think he might've relocated or splitting his time uh, between there and, and Los Angeles. So. Yeah, that was just kind of something that kind of fell into our pocket based on where we were kind of filming. It just made the schedules, it, it made for the schedules to align a lot easier, you know, having him actually, you know, people local to that area. But yeah, that location was was something that, because we had scouted several different states in terms of where was going to be the best kind of like home for our production based on obviously like tax incentives, crew pool access to locations and and really i remember the first image the first image before i even set foot on that property the first image that potsy shared with me was i think it was a, an image from inside the kitchen looking out at this hill and he was just like how about you know we should have catch him catch him should arrive over that hill and this is and I, it was just like yeah of course it's like how can we so i think we saw that image and then we went and scouted some other states and we kind of like came back to that original location because like we have not found anything better and so for and that property was was really great because it was on like i think it's like three thousand acres and so like when you kind of set this story and where you place your place the action it can all kind of happen in this giant playground so to speak where you know Ketchum and his men start on this side of the property and they make their way to the other side where 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 Tim's character Henry is is hiding out and so you're able to kind of do these larger vistas and kind of create that scope just because there was like nothing else around it was really it was really special it was a really special property that, that house was like a hundred year old house I mean that house was I think built in the 18. 60s is like one of the first settler cabins or farms in that area and so that in of itself was amazing that we were kind of using that house that had that kind of history that lived in and then obviously our department did so much to kind of adapt it and change it for what we needed for our film but yeah it was like we felt like we were in almost like kind of the sacred space trying to like just do justice to the property and the history of the land and the history of the cabin so yeah it was really it kind of just it kept elevating things if that makes sense yes definitely and i really enjoy it had a, a feel not like theater because it felt very real but what i mean is when you're really grounded in a space that you know well and as you know from working together on television that that feeling of an ensemble whereas i imagine for working on other films you have these shooting schedules which i know we should say that also the um, it does expand out but it is a a small Western, like an intimate Western, as opposed to sometimes these epic ones that really, uh, but, but I imagine when you have these shooting schedules where you have to go always to these new places and and, and just 
that reorientation all the time, you might lose the intimacy. Same. Just having to, you know, it doesn't it doesn't feel a part of you as much, maybe. And so when you were filming, and this is really embedded in the script as well in the acting, you're thinking about well, I've been thinking about a kind of vanishing America. You know, there's a lot of people in America who are, of course, there's an anxiety, but they're thinking about what they're losing. You know, what is, as you say, what's a true American or whatever? I know you're like third generation Polish. Uh, so, or, or yes, third generation Polish. So, yeah. um, yeah, I'm reflecting on that because I'm sure when you're looking at this, these uh, old properties and and a lot of that's disappearing now in America. Yeah, it's, you know, it's something where it kind of goes down back to that kind of, you know, of like what's newer, what's brighter, what's shinier sometimes, you know, instead of kind of holding on to and kind of reflecting, you know, on the past. This film takes place kind of at the very beginnings of like an industrial revolution where, you know, you have some some people in, at the turn of the century did have access to tractors and some early automobiles, but then you also had people that were 20 or 30 years still behind working the land by hand. And so it's interesting. And then our, our character, Henry, wants to kind of like hold on to that as long as possible. He doesn't want to kind of, I don't know, he's wary of, of a changing America. And, and, you know, it's when you look at that into contemporary times, you know, that's a very complex complex question, I think, with complex <laughs> answers. But I think if, if anything else, potentially what his, Henry's character in the film, and I think what we all should do maybe as, you know, moving forward is like, is, is have that open dialogue about what that means, you know, and, and a respectful dialogue. Because I feel like that is something that is ingrained in our story and kind of rings true to like I think how we how we move forward and how we do kind of like move past injustices that have happened in our society there needs to be a respectful conversation where your opinions and ideas are respected and and are heard and listened to so I feel now in, in terms of our changing landscape in America there's so much of this kind of this this like rage or, or shout culture and I say rage just in terms of just like, you know, kind of emotions on all sides, you know, it's like we've lost the ability to kind of like sit down around that kitchen table and maybe have a conversation with someone that you disagree with. And that's something that our film kind of explores a little bit is these like quiet conversations where sure you might not agree with what the other person's saying, but you know, you're going to sit down and be respectful. <laughs> yeah, it, it's funny that you're because it also there's violence in the film but you're talking about yeah there is a lot of our articulation as well I want to say also Stephen Dorff is a great villain I'm wondering what your approach is to filming violence and what you feel your responsibility or how you build tension and momentum you know and rhythm and all those things well yeah I think in, in terms of terms of violence or in terms of you know I feel like you have to you earn it in, in a sense of like it has to be justified in terms of like on an emotional level and so what we did early on was was just with our kind of the pacing that we knew this film was going to have and our shot design kind of like building that in early on so you kind of are aware of the visual language you know we didn't we definitely didn't want to get to a point of doing the violence and 
and say glorify it or or use editing techniques to kind of get around some of the violence like we didn't want to shy away from some of that more violent moments in the film in terms of just having sequences and shots last a long time you know we really tried to be minimal with with our coverage and our use of of different angles because we had the actors we had the location we had the resources to really kind of like get you into the story and i've i've always found that some of my favorite filmmakers and cinematographers really draw you in by by not cutting away they you know the the shots are engaging and so the longer they are engaged the more you're you're brought into the story and kind of the technique of of the filmmaking process kind of dissolves and goes away and you're literally watching the story and so we tried to set that up very early on in terms of longer takes even with the blocking trying to kind of just utilize that as well as as a tool in terms of keeping keeping the visual language interesting and so when we get to kind of our some of our first violent stuff we wanted to really have these longer shots and so things play out we didn't want to use you know stunt doubles and and those type of things we wanted to feel as real as possible that these actors are actually having to be a confronted with violence and then have to defend themselves and then be violent as well so i think we tried to just earn that early on with the pacing of the film it's hard to do because it's a lot easier sometimes just to kind of use use the editing and 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 create an emotion that way and so we really tried to just draw you in what were some of those details that you used as like elements that guided the story you know i think when you set when you when you get handed a western a Western script or anything that even kind of relates at all to maybe being classified a Western as a cinematographer, you get very excited because you're like, we're, we are, we are, we are able to follow in the footsteps of these amazing, this genre of films that has, has morphed and changed and been revisited so many times. And so you're trying to kind of find your take on that. And some of the earliest things that I did in my kind of process was was lean into some photography, the photography of that kind of time period. You know, what is, what were some of the, the images that were coming out of some of that early photography in the turn of the century in Oklahoma? Like what did 1905 Oklahoma look like? And how did those, how, how are those families posing even, you know, like just some of those, the details of like, what is, you know, how, how are people positioned when they're getting their photograph take? Like, what is that? and trying to read into what that meant and what that felt like, as well as, you know, I looked at some, we looked at some paintings as well of some of that early kind of farm life and that kind of thing. So I spent probably a couple of weeks just diving down this rabbit hole of images, trying to just see what that felt like when looking at these photographs and then kind of using that to like build upon, okay, well now let's look at some film references that obviously aren't from, you know, the turn of the century, but just kind of these more classic Westerns and then kind of seeing what felt emotionally the right, the right thing, you know, what felt like it was a fit for our story and then kind of, and then using those two things and then kind of, and then that gets you into kind of this world in which you're testing lenses and then you're trying to see if, how that feels it's all about for me i think it was all about how it how it feels how does it make you feel what is that what is that type of image yeah just how does that how does that image make you feel 
And then in terms of kind of more specifics, in terms of physically being on set, I mean, like I said, being able to shoot in a house that was actually kind of from that time period. Yeah, it was a real joy. It was a real, it was a real privilege. And, and what, what Max and Ruby did on terms of the production design and the art direction to kind of add on and, and to facilitate what we needed. I mean, we built onto that farm. We added a, you know, porch. We just added a bunch of things to it that we needed for our story. But the way they did it was really special because they found all this antique barn wood or like reclaimed barn wood and like built a set out of this, this barn wood that's a hundred years old. So like, sure, it's like the house itself is existing, but then the stuff we added on, we did in a way that it still felt period because it was. So that was pretty special. And then even like all the oil lamps in the house, you know, that was something that Ruby, the art director and I had lots of conversations on in terms of of the different styles, the different types, because we were just coming of, a, of an age where there was, in certain parts of the country, there was electrified lamps, but they were modified, you know, oil lamps. And so we just had, I don't know, we had a fun journey, I suppose, going through that and, and, and seeing which lamps felt good, which lamps didn't feel period, even though they were period accurate. So it's a, it just becomes those choices you make and what what feels right when you're kind of like, you know, manipulating the set, you know, at that, at that final stage right before you shoot. And I think those choices that we would make in terms of which, which lamp or, or which direction the table's facing with the window, like those choices were first going to be influenced by that early photography that I looked at months before, you know, like, cause that's just something that's ingrained. So that just kind of like it, 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 you just kind of fall back on on this like this plethora of images and this library of stuff you've been watching. So in the, in that moment when you have a decision, you kind of know where you need to go, I guess, in terms of a gut check. You know, like oh, this is this feels right, and you're not really sure specifically where it came from or what maybe film referenced it or what ph photograph you saw it in, but you just know it's in this wheelhouse of things that you were like responding to emotionally. When you said that of Oklahoma, I was thinking of Dorothea Lang, and Heather. I think it's interesting because those are real moments of frozen time where they capture a moment and then you're what you're saying is almost like you're a translator like you're opening out your moving pictures and maybe you're trying to you recreate what they might have those people frozen in time might have been looking at and and seeing if that matched up would that live in that world with could they exist together and i'm wondering what then your approach is because it's not shot on film it's shot on digital right right I mean what do you feel about film and it's what it's is, what is your respect for that and how do you maybe a, a, approximate it sometimes yeah I mean obviously you know I kind of came up in a generation where I learned on film my my earliest jobs as a cinematographer were shooting on film and so you know there's that that just you know the industry has changed so much in the last you know 20-25 years or, or even 15 years in terms of like the advent of these like great digital sensors, you know, that can allow you this amazing palette to, to choose from. So I, you know, obviously on every project you discuss film and is it possible, is it the right, pro is it the right tool for this? And, and a lot of the times it's not due to budget, you know, cause it's, it is harder and harder to kind of justify that expense. You know, I'm able to do it more in the kind of commercial world that I, that I kind of live in just in terms of shooting on film, you know? And so obviously, you know, when, 
when I first got this script, it was a, it was a simple enough story in terms of like the scale of it. I felt like, oh, maybe we could, maybe we could do film, you know? And so we had those conversations and then, and then right around that same time, I had done a process where I had printed back to film. I had shot some stuff digitally and then we had it printed back to film for some commercial stuff. And I was really happy with that result. And then from that, I did, some, I did a couple other campaigns in which we didn't print back to film, but we used some of the same techniques in, in post-production and in our digital intermediate to kind of approximate, you could say, or simulate the, the 35 millimeter grain structure. And so, you know, going into this production, I knew we weren't gonna be shooting on film, but I also knew that like we needed to somehow capture that, that texture of 35 millimeter because it was just there's not a digital story you know this is a very analog film you, you know especially kind of what we touched on earlier about it transitioning from a you know into the industrial revolution even more reason to like make it more of a an organic or an analog film and so that was just something the texture was something i was very concerned about or just was a priority in terms of the final image of doing stuff on set to create that in the camera as well as in, in post kind of taking it the rest of the way with some some kind of you know some some digital over some some 35 millimeter overlays that we'd already had kind of had existing so i was very very pleased with with the, with the final texture that was something that the potsy and i had a long conversations about the texture and i was like so much so that i was more worried about at times the wardrobe than other things because I was like wardrobe has to feel the texture like everything within the frame has to have that for us to really kind of go on this journey because if it feels new or feels like we're trying if it feels like we're trying to make a western then like well we will fail but if it just feels like it should then then we will have succeeded I guess and, and at least at least in setting up a visual landscape that then the story can live in and do its thing yeah one of my favorite movies is the good, the bad, and the ugly. And one thing that that movie did as a Western was they used to have these like overly lit, blaring scenes. And then you see Clint Eastwood's character. He has these tiny eyes. So he just looks like he's squinting the entire time. But like that whole scene sets up this like intense, very dramatic moment. And you're being told, oh, something intense is going to happen. We just know it. And so I wanted to know sort of how did you frame the ambiance from like the cabin to the farm to sort of really say this silent story about like a family drama in a way? Yeah, just in terms of kind of like tension. I mean, I also, there was a part of me that looked at some of this thing in this like in, I guess, the suspense that I was kind of visually focused on, I suppose, with this, with this kind of like evil approaching, and you say that's like because our, you know, we have our catch and play by Stephen Dorff is like, you know, they're they're the bad they're the they're the bad guys in the movie, and so like this idea that like this these things were entering this farm, I kind of tried to take a metaphor of like it was evil approaching it and what does that feel like and and then as, as every scene kind of as every kind of the story unfolds you know henry takes in a wounded gunslinger like is he telling the truth like that's another thing of like 
we're bringing potential evil like into our house and having to kind of sit in that. So yeah, I, I feel like that was just the overall tone that I was looking at capturing in terms of suspense because it is minimal at times. And so I was, you know, always trying to just heighten that somehow. Uh, and for me, it was a question of, you know, it was just kind of the, you know, these soundtracks you have in your head while you're lensing up stuff or, or just trying to fall back to that. Like what is, what is, what is going to make you kind of like lean in or make you feel something on a subconscious level. And so that suspense of evil approaching was kind of a driving force in terms of maybe some of those earlier shots and, and hopefully building that, building that suspense, you know, obviously the films of, you know, Sergio Leone are just spectacular you know very different but at the same way like I guess creating that impending doom which is something I, I felt we had to achieve because if not they just show up you know if if you don't build this type of suspense so yeah it was fun it was fun to pl play in that world and, and and figure out with Potsy how we were gonna how we we're gonna do that you know how we were gonna set set these scenes and it ultimately lends them in a certain way Yes, so you speak about evil approaching, and I guess we could also say, I don't say evil, but this gray area of violence surfacing in Henry. And I think one of the joys uh, for me, and, and perhaps for, it's a very, you know, popular genre and has been for so many years, the Western, is that I think that all of us can like to think about or um whether we're capable of violence or whether to protect family or for certain reasons we could summon it in ourselves and I, there must be like a joy in watching it played out even though it's difficult and complicated but in some the the flip side of it it's also simpler than some of our other choices where you know we we don't we can't solve things with violence generally in our lives like the things that annoy us and um more complicated to solve like climate change or whatever uh they're they're just it's not just like a good and evil you know we're actually part of it so you know what what for you are the the joys of westerns and and having that good and evil played out and you know what draws you to those stories i mean i feel like you know the wet i mean i think you know i'm a, uh, originally from from texas and so i kind of you know i mean I was kind of always aware of the Western culture, Western tradition. You know, we even had like rodeo Western days in school where everyone would wear their cowboy outfits. And so I think for me, it was like an early childhood kind of like just being exposed to that. And then as you get older, you watch these films. And then obviously I didn't watch The Searchers first, but one, I mean, but but Tombstone, like that was a film I watched at a pretty young age or or young guns and where you're literally kind of, you're, you're, you're very aware that it's a film, you know, when you're watching it. And um, yeah, it's just kind of like this, the, you're, you're, you're watching people play in terms of like those kind of like a, a film like Tombstone where you, where, you know, watching that as a kid, you know, it's fake, but then you have so much enjoyment in this like play that they're putting on for you and, and the action. And so, you know, I think, in terms of the things that I respond to now with that genre is, I think, you know, there's just like the, these stories can be told with such big landscapes. It's like, what other genre 
you have this like justification to like do these big wide expansive landscapes and so i feel like that is just visually is is really interesting and then yeah i, I think you bring up a good point about like it is potentially some of the easier choices we have to make when faced with the ultimate violence i guess against us because they're like protecting your family that's a very like that's that's black and white you there's no there's no gray with that and so i think some of the best westerns or maybe the most influential or or the ones that are more subtle i guess you know they they do have a character that has some gray in there like where it's not black and white you know and i think old henry is kind of fighting against some stuff throughout the whole thing about his past and so i think you kind of see that play out you know even in even as we're trying to do something good or protect something from your past that that past is still a part of you and so yeah but i mean in terms of just going back to that idea of like what the characters in a western you know i think it's just a really fun it's a fun genre I think it's, they're fun stories to be had, you know, if they don't take themselves too seriously, but maybe we probably did on this one. <laughs> I know, I think it's, it's important to be respectful of, you know, because it is about family. So it's not a joke, you know, it's something, it's, it's what we love. It's what we value. And I think, I don't know if you drawing upon the assassination of Jesse James or what some of those other touchstones might've been for you i always loved deadwood but I, that probably wasn't an, an influence for this particular but again a story that dealt with the complications in the gray areas yeah i mean you can't i feel like you can't do a, a film you can't do a western after the assassination of jesse james without somehow referencing the assassination of jesse james you know roger deacon's work on that and andrew dominic's work were just just spectacular you know and i remember I remember actually seeing that film. I see that I saw that film and then I saw 310 to Yuma, I think, because those films came out the same year, you know, the Christian Bale movie. And so I saw those, I think, within a couple of days of each other. And at, I just remember at the time being blown away by the assassination of Jesse James because I, I felt like things felt, it's like guns mattered in that movie. You know, the guns had weight, the violence had weight to it. Whereas 310 to Yuma is kind of this like, maybe more of a kind of more of a traditional Western and kind of an American tradition in terms of this like, you know, larger than life story that then, that then is retold. And so I felt like the violence in that film didn't, didn't affect me the same way, even though I think in the assassination of Jesse James, there's like four or five gunshots in the entire film, you know, it's something in very minimal, but there just had weight behind it. And so that's always, I think the kind of, the film we set out to make with this was making that kind of violence feel real and having the guns matter. I mean, so much about this film is is the father trying to protect his son from even the idea of, of using a weapon or using violence. And so I think that kind of set the tone for for kind of our violence in, in the film. But another film that I, I really reference in terms of kind of a more of a pacing and a texture was Hostels the Scott Cooper film. I feel like that film was just, the cinematography in that film is, is, is I would say almost nearly perfect in terms of, <laughs> in terms of my initial watching of that film. It was just like, wow, this is, it was exactly what it needed to be. And so 
kind of again going back to that being authentic or being true it was like as as a, as a cinematographer trying to support the story and support these actors support these other artists it was just like how can you support them and and at times just just making sure it's seamless and we're not you know calling out different things you know i never wanted the the cinematography to be something that you took notice of over anything else that's why like we didn't do big shafts of light coming into a room with with haze and stuff like that you know we really i i really we were really after a very kind of naturalistic look so you kind of like yeah you were just in this authentic world and then and then when the violence happens it's like it's real and the stakes are really high at the end in terms of the other films and television projects you have been involved in do you consider yourself a a social filmmaker or i mean i know you're in service to the director but in terms of the stories you're drawn to yeah i in terms of the like the feature length projects i've been um fortunate to be on i feel like i'm been i guess trying to be just super selective in terms of what type of stories you want to say because i think you know um as making a career in cinematography like you live with those projects for so long you know from the an ideation of a project sometimes when a director calls you and said hey i'm thinking about doing this to then reading the different scripts and kind of like you know that whole process to then to production and post production so you're kind of like having this like this story or this world that you're creating you you kind of live with it for about a year if not even more and so like i feel like just being i i've been over the course of my career, I've just kind of become more and more selective about what I want to put kind of time and energy into because I don't know if the the last couple of years with the pandemic has taught me anything. It was, you know, time is the one thing that we can't get more of. And I, you know, just, you know, what what you spend your time on is so valuable, I think. You know, and sometimes I feel as as artists, especially kind of coming up in the film industry, our our goal is just to kind of work 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 we've been you know wanting to do that our whole lives and just work 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 but i think you have to you have to at some point maybe stop and be like what are you working on what is that what are you saying with it so yeah i've i've become pretty selective in terms of the the feature film stuff i engage with just because the stories have to matter you know i i want to i want to tell stories that people watch experience and it actually makes them think you know i think there's so much content out there that is just made and generated i don't yeah not in a place where i want to you know just be kind of creating stuff blindly without thinking about what what you're doing and what kind of stories you're telling i feel, I feel like we have a responsibility to do that if you're in a position to obviously you have to work and you have to like provide for yourself and your family but at the same time you do we do have choices but sometimes we're not aware of them potentially yes and so as a filmmaker i mean obviously you're creating or recreating authentic worlds and so what has the process of filmmaking taught you about society and american society in particular and the way that it's structured and and maybe how does it make you you know question the way things are and and things you'd like to change. Oh wow, that is an that is an excellent question. I mean, right off the bat, I just think of that this uh, this 
you know, there's, it's interesting with, because we've had so much recently, I feel like in terms of these different streaming platforms and this, this need to create so much content, you know, there's, there's so much television out there and there's so much content now on all these different things. And so I feel like we do have to like stop and ask ourselves what, what, what are we saying? What are we doing? You know, and you really get a sense of it, I suppose, when you look at other, other countries and other, other film industries and other countries and kind of the films that they are, are coming out of those societies, because they're not, a lot of them are not fueled by a commercialism. And so I feel like there's, there's a risk of, of being too commercialized, too much value placed on what, how many people are going to watch this film or watch the content and then like watch something else. So I feel there's, I mean, you can see that in the last time or 30 years with Hollywood in terms of kind of the films that are being made, you know, you have these like bigger and bigger tent poles, which are kind of like regurgitating some of the same ideas and the same voices. And so it's, it's really hard. I feel like to get them to find those films that have those really unique voices that are different. Cause I feel like we've, you know, as, as an industry, as a machine, and when the machine is, is running full tilt ahead, it's, you know, it's like, it's feeding itself, I guess. I don't know if that's a really good answer, but something about this idea of, we have to stop and ask ourselves like why, why we're saying what we're saying instead of just like being a, a consumer of media and then also being a maker of it. There's definitely something to be said about the, the consuming of things. Cause I feel like we, we as a society do blindly consume things and we're not even aware half the time of what we're consuming and who's making it and what is the purpose of that? I think there's been some amazing documentaries that have come out that have tried to shed light on that. But just in terms of the film industry's responsibility, it's a tough one. It's a really tough one because you're you're getting, yeah, it's the commercialism of it is is a necessity, but it's also something to be, I guess, mindful of or be be wary of like what type of stories we're telling. Yes, and I know that you also went to you went to school for film in America, but also in Czechoslovakia, and and so their approach to filmmaking must be so different. And I know we work with Lots Film School in Poland, and their students send us films, and it's it's not coming out of Hollywood. It's a very different look. It's a very I mean, what did that teach you? That experience, that other perspective. Yeah, yeah. I think I had the you know I had that opportunity to to study at FAMU and I literally think that like that that for me at that time changed who I was as a cinematographer and as an artist and I kind of just equated it to I I felt like I learned the value of a close-up that was one of the big highlights I just took away from was like the importance of of when to use a close-up maybe not all the time but just the value of it and and you know, yeah, and 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 the importance on, I don't know if it's important on the emotion of it, but I really, at least that's what I took away was it. Like what, what lens, what image, what frame, what scene, ultimately what story is gonna like capture the most emotion and make you feel something. Because that's the films that I've always resonated with are those films that actually make you feel. They stop you and they make you feel and they make you think maybe 
maybe immediately afterwards, maybe the next week afterwards, but they really jar you and make you think. So I've tried to to do that as much as I can with with my work, you know, when I'm able to have access to those type of stories. Artie, are we just going to come in? I want to say ever since the pandemic happened, we kind of connect to our ancestors in a very different way. We understand what living through a plague feels like where we're before that was just like words in a history book or like surviving a disease like COVID, for example. And so I think with the Western, do you think we as people who have survived COVID relate to it in a different way, not only on a personal level, but on a movie level, like when we see it in a movie? I mean, I would say, you know, I think every individual's experience was different, you know, during the pandemic, you know, so I feel like, I mean, some people, some people were kind of, you know, stopped in their tracks and kind of without employment, you know, and there were, there were some people where it just ramped up and they'd never stopped and worked longer hours, you know, all of our kind of our first line responders. And so I feel like everyone has a, will kind of approach that kind of differently based on their own experiences. Uh, you know, I will say in terms of us collectively as a society kind of having gone through trauma. So I will say that was trauma on every level, regardless of, you know, how you, your situation in terms of, of, of how, of how it affected you personally. So I think in, in that aspect, like, trauma is real and so I think if a western kind of dips into that a little bit you maybe have a, a you know a more personalized experience to it you know me personally I feel like the quietness and the kind of the isolation that's something that obviously kind of like resonates a little little more when you've kind of maybe experienced that and when you watch it back in a film but you know and me as a father because I have two we have two young kids. And so I think I definitely respond to that in a Western like this about in terms of protecting your homestead, protecting your, your land, your environment, you know? Yeah. I mean, that was, you know, we kind of were, you know, we were all on every level, we were all kind of faced with that. Like, kind of like, what does it mean to protect your tribe, the ones you love? And then, you know, from outside forces. So if that gives us a better person, that gives us a more kind of personalized experience. So then, go into like watching a western film then yeah i think that probably does i think it maybe things hit a little harder maybe in our film we, we were developing it before the pandemic so it's interesting that it's kind of set it's kind of this world that happens in isolation but that wasn't our goal is to like make an isolated film you know what i mean based on the pandemic it just kind of like it's interesting that it kind of all kind of happened around the same time yes I, sometimes these things are I don't want to say in the air because that has many meanings now, but you pick up on these things and it, it's the coincidence of it is mm -hmm. so uncanny. But yes, it's something that we think a lot about here in, in watching your film and also just in this present moment, which just isn't about COVID, but it's about the future. As I say, we think about the environment, the importance of the arts, uh, education, the systems we live in, and the kind of world we're leaving for the next generation. So what are some of those things that you are passing on to your children? You know, what would you like young people to know, preserve, and remember? 
feel like it's so important for us to continue to search, continue to wonder, continue to ask questions. You know, I feel like in a day and age when everything is kind of at our fingertips in terms of answers to things, maybe, you know, you have the, the internet, you can, you can look at, you can look up anything, you know, you can find the answer to anything, but I feel like to personally go find your own answers for things. And so I'm trying to instill a sense of, of wonderment, you know, in, in, in our kids. And I feel like in, in some regard, they then reflect that back at my wife and I, and, and we're reminded of what that means to go, to go to a place you've never been to before and just sit in it, you know, what does that feel like? You know, cause you know, at one point in time we used to like have to go somewhere to take a picture of something to then look at it at a book at a, you know, in your own photo album. Now you can go and research what that looks like. You can go find that image. Whereas before you had to kind of experience it and sit in that yourself. And so I think if anything, it's just this, this, this idea of wonderment and, and, and exploration and also this is kind of recently with the pandemic, we're just trying to get a sense of peace and calmness, like a sense of peace. And, you know, we, my wife and I talked about this the other day about the importance of being bored and how that breeds creativity and how we're trying to instill that into our kids when they, when they go, oh, I'm bored. I don't know what to play with. And we're like, that's okay. It's okay to be bored. We don't have to be constantly consuming something. We don't have to be constantly entertained by something. So I feel those are the things at the moment that I'm kind of just actively trying to instill in in our in in my in you know in our kids and then and then in turn in in us as well as kind of artists. Oh, I think it's so true because that's where invention and creativity does come from. You know, if you're bored or you don't see something out there, then you have to make it. And I I feel blessed to have had you know, long summers that were full of, well, reading, but also just wondering, as you say, this is so important. So thank you, uh, John Matashak, for sharing your capacity to wonder, your compassionate camera work, which reflects on the black and white and gray areas. It looks into the past to tell us stories about our future and the kind of world we're leaving the next generation. Thank you for adding your voice to the creative process. Thank you. Happy to be here. Creative Process Podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. This interview was conducted by Nia Funk and Artie Mystery with the participation of collaborating universities and students. Associate interviews produced on this podcast was Artie Mystery. Digital media coordinator is Phoebe Browse. Wintertime was composed by Nicholas Anadolis and performed by the Athenian Trio.